Good evening. Please have your Bible ready in James chapter 1. I know it may seem lately. I've spent a lot of time in the book of James. I promise, though, it will do me good and do each of you a great deal of spiritual good every time we come back to the book of James. Shortly after I moved here over 30 years ago, I started publishing a weekly bulletin, often with my writings, sometimes with the writing of others. And we've called it Reaching Greater Heights. If you get the LH update emails on Saturdays, you have a link to the bulletin every week. And here at the building, the bulletins are provided on a rack back in the lobby in printed form. A short read, biblical material designed to equip us to reach greater heights at Laurel Heights. And recently, I've started writing a series of articles that I continue through the summer about attitudes based on various passages in the Bible where attitude is central. And I started with James chapter 4, why is there conflict? And then after that, the passage in Proverbs about a soft answer. And then more recently, articles about telling your brother his sin privately and the good fight. And today, June 5, about anger, which must be contained and not lead into sin. My purpose in these articles is to simply put before us a review, a fundamental instruction from God about attitude, mental content to govern our thinking, our treatment of people, and above all, our respect for God. I've seen a lot in the book of James about attitude. And tonight, I want to read the first chapter to begin. And then I want to go back and make note of how James addresses one of the components of attitude here in chapter 4. Listen for this as I read James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation 
and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also (coughs) will the rich man fade away in his pursuits blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him let no one say when he is tempted I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death do not be deceived my beloved brothers every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God therefore Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Well, all of that is good. But there's one subject that seems to dominate this section. In several statements connected together in James chapter 1, I'm seeing God's response to pride that can weaken us and take us down. Let me show you what I'm seeing here. Verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom let him ask God I know I had something to say about this last 
Sunday night. Let me go back and approach it in a slightly different manner. Pride is what can move us away from this. We can fall victim to one of the earliest temptations and approaches of the devil. That we are as smart as God. Are smarter. And God is just trying to keep us from realizing that. This was the devil's approach when he came to Eve. Genesis chapter 3. And he said to her, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Believing that lie, she took the fruit and ate and shared that meal with her husband. Sin came into their lives and ruined their lives. And where did it start? Thinking that the devil was right when he said you can be like God. We can fall victim to the same device rather subtly, thinking that we are as smart as God are smarter, and therefore, <coughs> in that pride that we allow in our minds, we are swallowed up. And we're taken away from God, and from even the thought of asking for His wisdom. What a tragic idea to buy into that we don't even need to ask God for wisdom being proud of how smart we are so here in James 1 5 pride is addressed not by name but through imperative and implication we do lack wisdom and we must ask God knowing who he is he gives generously to all without reproach. And it says here, it will be given to those who ask in faith with no doubting. Asking God for wisdom carries the implication that he has what we don't have. Pride says, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm wise. Faith with humility says, I'm not so smart. I lack wisdom. And God has what I lack. I need to ask Him with faith that doesn't doubt. And as I ask Him, I need to plow deeply into His Word for what I need to guide me in my life. Because I'm just not that smart. Look with me next in verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun righteous, uh, arises with its scorching heat. And withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those 
who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. <clears throat> Those Peter was writing to, who were considered lowly by the world, poor Christians, could actually boast based on God exalting them, boasting with reference to God. If you are a Christian and people in the world look down on you, don't be surprised or ashamed or insulted because as you live in Christ, you are exalted by God to spiritual heights. And in that relationship, you can reach greater heights. James is saying, if God has exalted you in Christ, don't be disappointed by the world's weak evaluation of you. Because what matters, not, what matters is not the world's evaluation, but God's evaluation of you in Christ. Now, the world is really impressed by the rich. Conversations are often started this way. Do you know how much money he makes? And eyes open and replies come back in response. Wow, that's a lot of money. Judgments are made about people based on houses they occupy, cars they drive, clothes they wear, places where they eat, assuming wealth, when in many cases it's debt. But the world is impressed by wealth, yachts and mansions and jewelry. Let me show you in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. You sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? I hope none of us ever even think about doing what James says and describes in this portrait. Size people up when you first see them. Try to calculate their financial worth, their high status, and then show them favor because of that worldly evaluation. That's a totally worldly 
attitude. Being impressed by wealth and proud about material accumulation and status and impressions that are on the earth level carnal. So James gives us a wake up call and back in chapter 1 verse 10 that I read, there is a phrase there that needs to have our attention. He will pass away. So at death, the fancy car has no owner or driver. The yacht waits in the dock for probate. The jewelry is locked up. The rich man is buried. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So materialistic pride is transitory, temporary, and it never reflects the real worth of the person or the evaluator of the person. James is addressing pride at its raw root level that we need to determine to avoid. Verse 17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Living here on earth, if we are not firmly attached to God, to Christ, and to the word delivered by the Spirit, to eternal reality, we can get conceited, <coughs> overconfident. Humanistic, self-sufficient, and all bloated with pride. And sometimes I think our mottos, our memes, our languages often reflect how self-sufficient we may think we are. How adequate and perfect we consider ourselves to be here on earth. And so we say things like, I've got this. I'm all in. No problem for me. Our motivational phrases almost never contain any reference to God. Our motivational phrases very often contain no references to God. And without ongoing reference, reverence for God, there can be this subtle creeping pride and self-esteem and false courage that we've all got this. No problem. And this is compounded when we think that we can answer every question, we can solve every problem, we can fix everything, we can lift any weight, and we can tell everybody what we think they ought to do about something Two seconds after we hear their problem. Our wheels are already churning before they finish the sentence of what their problem is. We think we've got it nailed. James puts a huge 
pause on all of that. He says, wait a minute now. God has this all figured out. But us, not so much. We cannot say that we are perfectly good givers and generous and we hold the world in our hands and there's no variation or shadow of turning with us. But those things can be said only of God. James is responding to human pride in James chapter 1. I have one more example. Verse 26 If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Then he goes on to say, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, I was reading a book the other day and came across the phrase, designer religion. That's what people want today. Designer religion. That's trending in the world today. And the author was talking about how people design their own religion to suit themselves instead of using what God has given and their responses to him. So people in, are inclined to manufacture their own personal religion based on their taste, their preferences, their interest. And, and they adjust and adapt that along the way. They revise it maybe every other day. <clears throat> I remember the preachers of my youth would talk about cafeteria-style religion. I mentioned this in class this morning, like you're at Luby's. I'll take some of this. I don't like that. Give me some extra gravy and two desserts. Do you know, I'm not really too far off subject here when I say American Food consumption is based more on taste than on health. American food consumption is often based more on taste than on health. And I know that from personal experience. I was at Jason's Deli today and I got exactly what I wanted. And it tasted good. Now, here's the corollary to that. American religious consumption is often based more on taste than on spiritual health. It's more about what I want than what God wants me to do. And again, the underlying theme here is pride. And James says, you're deceiving you th your yourself. If you just think you are religious, but your tongue in your life is out of control. And in fact, you're not hearing and doing what God has said. Further, he says, if you're not controlling your tongue, your religion is worthless. 
The old translations have the word vain, and that's worthless and useless. See, all the way through James chapter 1, and really all through the New Testament and all through Scripture, pride is defined, identified, and destroyed as something that takes us away from God and prevents the development of good attitude and good character and never takes us to a good place in our treatment of others and our thoughts about others and it never takes us to a good place in our responses to God and our discipleship in following Christ. And after all that James says in chapter 1, you come to chapter 4 and he says later, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then after that he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know that humility was scorned in the ancient world. If you were to interview high status people in the Roman Empire during the time the New Testament was being written, and you were to ask them, what about humility? What? Humility? But if you were to ask them about pride and arrogance and high status, you can just see them taking their stance and responding. Humility was scorned in the ancient world. It became enshrined in a cross and eventually championed as a virtue for those who are responsive to the cross. So as regards attitude, as God would have it to be fixed in our minds, I wanted to share these thoughts from James chapter 1. Seems to me, and I'm asking you to consider how God conveys all of this to us about pride through his servant, James. One more thing. <clears throat> to move away from pride is to internalize humility. See, those things are side by side. To move away from pride, I need to study and embrace and internalize humility. And that will always mean coming to the cross, denying self, looking to God honestly, looking to others as a servant, and avoiding that raw self-centeredness that can corrupt us from the inside out. I found this many years ago. The font is too small, but I think the PA system is working fine. My idea of visitation, everyone visiting me, my idea of sympathy, everyone suffering with me, my idea of a sinner, 
anyone I don't like. My idea of a meek person, the one who yields to me. My idea of a contentious person, anyone who does not agree with me completely. My idea of a wise man, the one who always agrees with me. My idea of unity, doing it my way. My idea of cooperation, everyone accepting my plans and working under me. My idea of a good sermon, one that fits everyone else. I need to let James and the other writers of the Bible inform, instruct, and warn me against pride and selfishness and in favor of the direction of humility before God and before others. Let's be standing while we sing.